You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to the Family Feud Podcast. This is Keely Yor here with Shotgun Spratling. We're a little tired. It's it's a travel week and uh, we're heading into the Notre Dame game. <laughs> well, you can be tired. I got my caffeine this morning. I'm ready to go. Let's go. Let's go. We said... Uh, the last family feud that USC just needed a win. If it was ugly, it was okay because that's how important the Utah game was, and they got a win. It was slightly ugly, but they got a win. Uh, yeah, they got a win. You know, it's very important to get that win against Utah because that's the Pac-12 South. You know, they kind of control their own destiny still. They control their own destiny in the national picture as well still. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this game this week against Notre Dame will be huge in that. Uh, you know, that's going to play in big because Notre Dame is ranked. Notre Dame's played pretty well this season. Uh, much different than last year, kind of a 180 uh, reverse course on them. Brian Kelly's got the team playing uh, well, playing the right, going in the right direction. They have a tough slate coming up to end the season, so it's going to be important for them in this game. They've got, they've basically had two weeks off. You know, they're not in class this week. They, uh, they had a bye week last week, so Notre Dame's going to be prepared. You know, they're probably going to be the uh, the unique trick plays. This is the time you see them a lot of times after a bye week. So USC may use them. Uh, oh yeah, that they didn't have a bye week this yeah. year. Yeah, so not only can they add in trick plays, they got guys healed up. Yeah, that's important. They're getting Something. the quarterback back. They're getting their three running backs had little ankle ankle things, and they're healthy. Um, little ankle things. Little ankle things. <laughs> that's what I'm gonna call them. Hey, do you want to hear some fun facts about the Notre Dame game? Sure. This is the first time both teams have been ranked since '09. Okay. Our own Dan Weber said that this is the first time USC doesn't have an interim head coach heading to Notre Dame since 2011. That helps. And on Saturday, there will be eight players with the last name Jones playing. Technically nine, but a guy got his name changed. So, guy's name changed. He added a name in. No, he took the Jones out. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of Jones, and then still the most interesting name will just be Saint Brown. How do you say the first name? Osiris. Oh no, no, Osiris is at Stanford. There's too many of them. (laughs) Equinemius. Equinemius St. Brown, the wide receiver, the oldest of the three brothers. Uh, younger brother, the middle brother, Osiris, who's at Stanford, and then the youngest brother, the number one recruit in or number one wide receiver recruit in the nation, Amon Ra, who could be looking at USC. Uh, and if that were to happen, if Amon Ra were to come to USC, then you would see the three brothers each get to play each other, which might be actually a selling point for USC because USC plays Stanford every year, USC plays Notre Dame, Notre Dame plays Stanford as well. So. Each of the brothers will get to play each other. That would be kind of a cool little thing if that were to happen. But this, uh, you know, who USC has to be concerned about this week is Equinemius, who uh, it was, I believe, their leading receiver last year against USC. Had a couple nice catches in the rain game. Uh, so he's one of their biggest threats on the outside. But Notre Dame's going to be running the ball, and USC's got to stop the run first. Well, also, Brandon Wimbush, their quarterback, is probably the first dual threat that USC's truly seeing this season. Yeah, and the fact that he is healthy now because he missed their last game, so he's had three weeks off. Uh, you know, you kind of wonder. You brought it up in the Facebook Live: is does that lead to rustiness or does that lead to okay, he's healthy and he's sharp? Uh, I, I think, you know, with quarterbacks, maybe a drive where you can be too amped up or you can be a little bit rusty. You saw that with Sam Darnold in the Penn State game. You know, it was yeah. just a little bit too hyped up, overthrew a couple passes. But I don't think you see the same type of rust because you don't have to be quite as fine as maybe a baseball pitcher when a you know when a pitcher has to like Alex Wood for the Dodgers is gonna be pitching for the first time in like a month it feels like um, 
for them in their game four. Uh, so you see with pitchers, you know, they have a long time off. They're used to this routine of playing every, you know, pitching every five days or whatever. When there's a long time off, usually there can be a little bit of erraticness. I don't know that you'll see that necessarily with Wimbush because quarterbacks, you have a little bit bigger window that you can hit. It's also worth noting that uh, Notre Dame's getting Kevin Steverson back. He was their third uh, leading wide receiver last year. He was suspended. He's coming back. He can be a deep threat, and Notre Dame's passing game is a little eh. So maybe having he's in my mind, it's kind of a comparison to having like a Stephen Mitchell back. I think you know it kind of helps helps out your game. So should be interesting to watch out for. Yeah, USC will probably load the box. If they can stop the run, then they can control the Notre Dame offense, I think. Uh, but it, it will come down to the DBs, you know, making some plays. That's been something that's been an issue, mm-hmm. uh, making some plays on the outside. So uh, we'll talk about that, obviously, a little bit later. But, will uh, we? Will we? Maybe, maybe. Maybe we should get into our stock up, stock down section. Who you got? I'm going to start stock up with Ronald Jones II. Uh, you know, they had a really nice game, you know, especially in the fourth quarter running the ball. But also, you know, he's kind of a workhorse for the offense. You know, he played a season-high 64 offensive plays. That's 15 more than he had played in any game previous in the season. Uh, they basically relied on him. The backups played a combined 17 plays, and, you know, that was Vi uh, Malapai didn't play until the second half, and he got 12 snaps. So a lot of that came in the second half there. Um, so I thought Ronald Jones had a really nice game, except for, you know, get hit right between the eyes with a pass, and then <laughs> so funny. it falling to the ground. I know that's horrible, but I I didn't realize it live watching the game, but during my replay, I just loved watching it. He I don't know how that happened. Literally hit him. It, it just I, bonked. As I texted you uh, when you were laughing at him. <laughs> no, uh, I. Uh, <laughs> he admitted to me after the game. He was like, "Yeah, that was a bad." <laughs> yeah. So you texted me last night, and, and I texted you that if he didn't wear a visor. If Sam Darnold was throwing a little bit harder, that might have just stuck in his face mask. And then he could just take off running and doesn't have to <laughs> secure the ball or anything. Yeah. That, that's an interesting strategy, for sure. I've never seen that happen, but it would be interesting to see it. That would be cool. Also worth noting, I don't think a lot of people knew, on the on the drive that he had the, the Ross Bowers-esque flipping touchdown, he was gimpy. Um, that's why you saw Vi came in. But he came in and finished the drive, and so that's why uh, Helton said on Sunday that he's a little uh, – he's not 100% on Tuesday. He was held a little bit. So. Yeah, and he finished it in a strong fashion. He definitely did. Flip, flip, who they want, flip, flip. He's been singing that before he even started recording, so a little behind the scenes. Yeah. I have the wide receivers as a whole. I thought they stepped up big. I think they saved Darnold a lot on a lot of throws. You have Pittman and Fallow with leaping catches that extend drives. Um Darnold had a kind of a problem of overthrowing receivers, so a lot of those, um, Stephen Mitchell coming back was important. I thought he played a good game. Tyler Vaughn, the one-handed catch on fourth down. Uh, Deontay made a ton of grabs that saved Darnold. Uh, I mentioned Stephen Mitchell, but he had a grab that just, I don't know how it didn't drop on the ground. It was just, I thought overall, they definitely stepped up. Yeah, they caught some balls away from the chest area. You know, know, the main target for a quarterback is to throw it right to the chest, try to hit him in the numbers. Obviously, not always the easiest thing to do, uh, and some guys made plays behind them. Some guys made plays up in the air. I mean, Sam got a couple of receivers hit pretty hard. I mean, Stephen, uh, not Stephen mentioned Deontay Burnett on the third down. You know, kind of got crushed by the the safety yeah. Michael yeah. Pittman as well. And both those guys held on the ball, and that's big time. Uh, you know, and there were some nice plays made by a lot of different guys, which is something we hadn't seen uh, so far this season. So that was really good to see. And I think that's something that can give Sam Darnold some confidence. That's something I, well, I have. I, I was about to say is that like those wide receivers making those plays, maybe they 
may not have made them earlier in the season, you give Darnold that confidence of, okay, I can keep going. I am not making mistakes. In a game where he did make mistakes, how important was those wide receivers to help him from stop making more mistakes? I got on stock up Sam Darnold confidence because I I think, you know, that definitely, you know, that's the first time, that's half, the second half is the first time we've kind of seen Sam get out of the pocket, make some throws, just do some different things that he was so good at last season. And the accuracy still wasn't there. You know, that was kind of the difference maker last year, I thought, is the, the fact that he could throw on the run and throw some darts that were so accurate. But his receivers helped him out. And I think that's only going to to uh, allow him to think, hey, I can throw the ball. As long as I get it near him, they're going to make the plays. Similar to Darius Rogers and Juju Smith last year. The fact that, you know, he could throw some balls up that might be 50-50 balls or even might be intercepted and Darius Rogers would steal it away. Uh, this game... You know, he, he was fortunate to get away with a, a very bad throw early in the game uh, that, that the DB just dropped, basically, yeah. and then Stephen Mitchell almost had a, a bounce, uh, a deflected pass for for a catch there. But, you know, in that second half, his play just got better and better. They made those three long drives, uh, you know, three of the best all season. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, I said last week I thought this was a make-or-break game, that they could definitely build momentum off of it. They've got a great opportunity. That second half allows them, you know, they're they're sky high, you know, coming off that second half. If they continue with that play against Notre Dame, they could easily walk in there and beat up on Notre Dame, and you see this team just get better and better as the as the season progresses. The first half was was awful. Um, you know, just turning the ball over, bad, you know, bad mistakes turning the ball over. But I think that they have an opportunity to build off last week, and you know, that's the, what they needed. In that game, they needed a win, and they needed some momentum. And they've got both of those coming off that game. I'm curious how much of this game is a turning point, just in the sense that I thought uh, Darnold had a really good practice on Tuesday. Um, He seemed more like the Darnold we saw last year in the sense that he kind of was a little bit more loose. Um, His accuracy was good. His timing was good. Um, It just looked like how you expect USC's offense to look in practice. So that carryover... Whether that's that stays to the Notre Dame game, but I think it definitely had a good impact on him. I talk about it all the time when I'm covering college baseball. These are still 18 to 21 year olds. Yes, that's a great point. So emotions play a big part on it. You know, motivation plays a big part on it. And if you're struggling, you know, Sam Darnold, all the expectations coming into the year, all the hype, and he hasn't been able to perform the, to what he is, the, to what he's capable of, you know. One little one half of strong football can can be a mon- monumental change for a player. You know the the difference in confidence. You know is, is huge. You know I think we, I I talked about it last week on my stock up. I thought Isaiah Langley had regained his confidence that he he, he admitted that he lost last year. I think maybe you're seeing a little bit of that with Iman Marshall uh, and Sam Darnold. Uh, you know he wasn't playing to his capabilities. I think he lost a little bit of his confidence. So I think he has a great opportunity to build on that. And I think. You know, I think maybe we'll start seeing the Sam Darnold that, that we kind of expected. Uh, mm-hmm. It's quite possible, you know, if, especially if, if you know something goes right early in that game against Notre Dame. You know, maybe it's a, a tip ball or something that go the receiver catches, and you're like, okay, this is this is going to work out now. And then he just builds off of it and has a really good game. I, I could see that happening uh, very easily. Yeah, I also had in, in that same vein, uh, team morale. If you look at towards the end when when they are realizing that they're winning the game, they're going to win the game. Everyone is just so invested and so pumped up. And uh, Ronald Jones told me that guys were pissed in the locker room in the second half. It was really like a a, a player leadership standpoint. At that, halftime. Yeah, at halftime. Did I not say that? Sorry. Um, yeah, they're, they're pissed at halftime. And it was players who, who stood up and were like, this is our season. We need to do this. Clay Hilton said that the, the players chose to define 
the rest of the season by how they played in the second half. And I think it, it showed that, hey, okay, even if we're down, even if we're not playing very well, we can come back and we can do this. I know I feel like I've said this before with other games and then they go out and play the next game kind of poorly. So I don't know if I necessarily want to bind this point that I'm making right now. But I think, I think this could be a good turning point for USC. You think it could be a good turning point? Keyword think. <laughs> I mean, like I just said, you know, they have the opportunity to build on the momentum. Do they take advantage of that opportunity? That's up to them. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times it takes the players to... You know, last year they said after the Utah game there was a players-only meeting. You know, maybe uh, maybe there needed to be one this week to say, hey, look what we can do. Yeah. We showed how good we can be in that second half. We need to come out and do that every game. And maybe that message hasn't got across. I mean, a, a coaching staff and head coach can do only so much. Yeah. And I know everyone wants to blame coaches for everything that goes wrong, and they're the ones that are getting paid, so they're the ones to get blamed. However... You can say something so many times, but until a player buys in or until a group realizes what it is capable of, and that's half a battle sometimes with 18 to 21-year-old, realizing what you're capable of. Um, And once you realize that, then, you know, the sky can be the limit. You can play up to your potential fully versus I don't think they have so far in the season, and now they have an opportunity and a big game to to showcase it, that they're ready to, you know, this is another chance to show, hey, we're a national power. We're a team to be feared this season. We may have lost a game, but we're play, clicking on all cylinders, and they could show that this Saturday. In the big scheme of things, how important is this game, Notre Dame game? I mean, I said last week that it was a make-or-break game, uh, and I think it, it has the opportunity to turn out that way because if they build on the momentum. Uh, but this game's huge you know, because of the national implications. Yeah. yeah if you want to be in that playoff, you have to show something this game. And, and especially if they show something... Uh, you know, if they, if they don't just win, if they do more than win, if yeah. they show, wow, USC, like, wow, that that's the team that we thought that we, we were going to get before the season. You see the national analysts, when, you know, on a college football countdown or whatever at the end of the, at the night, uh, college football f- a final. You know, they're like, my helmet sticker today goes to the, the entire USC team because they came out and showed what we expected. That's quite possible that they could do. Yeah. You know, they have an opportunity, and that's going to only, that you know, it's going to be national televised game. It's at Notre Dame, so there's going to be interest. It's one of the big games of the weekend. You know, there's going to be a ton of eyes on that game. And because it's being played on the East Coast at 7.30 Eastern time, it's the primetime game. It has East Coast interest. Yeah, it's going to have that East Coast interest. And, uh, you know, there's going to be national media that are paying attention. And if USC goes out and plays their capability, uh, then they grab attention and show, you know, this is a team to be feared. And they could easily see themselves bump up in the polls really quickly off a big win. It's one of those games that because – all the reasons you just listed of how many people are interested in it, people can kind of blow it out of proportion. Say USC just comes out and like looks great on all three phases and just blows out Notre Dame. Then you can start to hear the hype. You know, it, it's one of those things that it maybe is not really necessarily granted for this team, but if that happens, then that's the weird media thing that starts to happen. So it'll be interesting how that kind of plays out. And you saw that a little bit after the Stanford game. USC played really well yeah. and you know played well in all three facets there. And then Texas game was similar. They had an opportunity. You know, if they could have blown out Texas, then, you know, they bump up to, you know, inside, maybe even move up to three or two in that because they were fourth then. Instead, they struggled. They moved down, I believe, after the Texas game. Um, so, you, you know, those big, those big moments, that's what you, you, you live for as a player and a coach. And, you know, those are the opportunities to kind of, you know, make your mark on a season. So they'll have a chance this weekend to do that. Mm-hmm. Who you got? 
I got tight ends. Stock up for the entire tight end group. You know, getting Daniel Amore Bebe back is huge. Yep. Um, you know, they're very they produce they just rack up yardage when he's on the field. I mean, he's averaging <laughs> the offense is averaging eleven point two yards when he's been on the field this season for you know a very small sample size of thirty plays. Um, but then Tyler Petit has a monster game, probably the best game of his career. I mean, fifty-two yard touchdown catch. Uh, you know, and then Josh Follow has two big catches. He's on. Josh Follow was on the field for four offensive plays. He had a touchdown and I think like a twenty-yard catch. So that's that is quite efficient right there. That is super efficient. I talked to him this week and I was like, "You have three receptions on your career, and two of them are touchdowns." And he's like, "It's pretty cool, right?" And the like, other one yes. was a big, you know, a big uh, catch uh, mm-hmm. as well for a big third down conversion, I believe. He's so. tall and athletic. I don't think he realized how tall he is unless you really get up close to him. And I was like, "Wow, you're tall." See, I think he can do some of the things that. You know the offense has been missing without Daniel Moore, baby, over the middle. Mm-hmm. Now I don't. I think he's still very green, but I think uh, you know once he gets, you know, build, put on a little weight so he can block a little bit better on the edge. I think as his career progresses at USC, I think he can do a lot of the things that Daniel Moore, baby, does over the middle and be that that uh, that offensive weapon in the middle of the field that can be a danger to defenses um, because he can catch the ball and, and get open. He can you know create some space by himself. It was kind of sad. I thought it was a podium game for Petit, but Darnold came for the off- offensive representative, if you will, and then we couldn't even find him after the game. I was like, this is your moment to bask in the sunlight. What are you doing, Petit? I don't know. He also was pretty banged up, so maybe he just wanted to get out of there. Understandable. Or maybe but... he just wanted to go celebrate the win. That too. He is still an 18-21 to general. That is a great point. Uh, but he, he talked yesterday, and um, you know, I saw some people I talked to him, so I'm assuming he probably talked for like 22 minutes. Because him Don- and Daniel basically had a, a dual scrum, a monologue of it was both of them separate, kind of coming in and out of their scrums. Daniel put his arm around Petit at one point. It was a whole whole thing. Interesting. I mean, yeah. that just shows the uh, the the tightness of the tight ends. Ha-ha. I this is kind of a sad stock up. I'm Josh Fatu. I thought he played. I thought he played well. Um, but of course, Josh Fatu. Um, was in a car accident um, over the weekend, I believe. It wasn't his fault. Multi-car accident. He's going through concussion protocol. They don't know if he'll be ready for Saturday. Uh, my guess is that he's not. Um, but he had a season high, seven tackles, two tackles for loss. Um, he was making key stops, and I thought he got in the backfield. Although I thought USC's D-line was kind of hit or miss that game. Um, I, if I want to transition, I thought Zach Moss played really well. Um, he's on my stock up for all the Utah listeners of Family Feud. Um USC could not tackle him. And granted, that was also on USC for just not tackling well, but I thought he played very, very well. Yeah, I, w- I was really impressed by Zach Moss when I rewatched the game. And like you said, Josh Watu had a sack in that game as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, he's playing, has been playing some really good football and people kind of not noticed him uh, because you're nose tackle. You don't make a ton of tackles and stuff, but he's been really stout in there and not being pushed around, like, which was something that happened last year when he would sub in. You know, sometimes you get pushed around. Um, so he actually is second. For tackles for loss on the team, versus Christian Rector. How crazy is that? I, I mean, that just shows how good he's been at getting penetration, mm-hmm. and, you know, especially on, on some of the the plays. And you know, it, it's kind of disappointing that he's going to be missing this game potentially because of you know he's in concussion protocol, and that's going to be a big loss potentially for USC because coupled with that, Kenny Bigelow, we finally found out that uh, he is going to step away from playing and going to join the coaching staff, kind of as a player coach type of thing. Uh, to begin his career as a coach, which is what he wants to do uh, after not getting a bunch of playing time, kind of getting jumped by Brandon Peely. So now it comes down to it's going to be Brandon Peely there 
Uh, and then there's a big question mark behind him. Is, if Brandon Peely starts and Fatu's not available, like we, we kind of don't think he's going to be, you know, what do they do? And, you know, that I uh, talked about this a little bit earlier on the Facebook Live, but if Port Augustine is back, do you then slide Christian Rector in and play him beside Rasheem Green and then kind of sub in Brandon Peely when you think it's going to be runs? But we don't actually think Porter will be back for Notre Dame. I don't, I don't really know. I don't. I mean, he had so. an MRI. He was supposed to get an MRI, that, a CT scan yesterday to determine. Yeah. Full disclosure: we're we're filming, we're recording this on a Wednesday, before practice. Yeah. So we will apparently get some notice on Port Augustine's status later today. Hopefully. Hopefully. Keyword: Hopefully. Uh, so that, that's another guy. I thought Christian Rector was another stock up. I mean, two more sacks. I think he's leading the Pac-12. You know, he he was on yeah. the Associated Press's uh, second team All-American midseason team. Uh, so, from a guy that was playing only on third downs to begin the season, not too bad. Yeah, that's a great point. Cam Smith against Utah. Cam has four interceptions, all against Utah. Of course, one against um, Utah on Saturday. I was very surprised that he actually intercepted that ball because he kind of just, like, grabbed it. You can't see what I'm doing right now, but it, it, it was pretty funny to to watch. But, um I, this is the thing over, that I'm impressed with by the defense overall. There's been multiple times where either the linebackers or basically the front seven, they're blitzing, and they realize that they're not going to get to the quarterback in enough time, and so they stop their blitz, and then they just time it and jump for the ball. They've done that multiple times, and it's the self-awareness to know and the play awareness to know, okay, I'm not going to get to the quarterback in time, and just like, okay, I'll just leap and time it to the throw. It's impressive. Yeah, they've done a really good job of reading the quarterback's eyes. That's what he did on that play. Uh, they showed him behind the, you know, kind of behind the defense look, and you see him rushing, and he's kind of sizing up the the blocker, and then he takes a glance and sees that the quarterback's about to throw, and he's like, "Okay, I'll just wait here." And he's looking at me. He's basically looking through me to the receiver. He jumps up and kind of smothers it against his chest. Uh, the one thing he did in this game that he didn't do um, against Utah previously made a tackle. The last the, when he had three interceptions. According to the ESPN game log I just looked up, he had zero tackles in that game. This game he had an amazing, a whopping 16 yeah. tackles, the most by a USC player since, I think, 2001, Troy Palomalo. Anytime you can get in the same conversation with Troy Palomalo is good. That's that's a good thing. Yeah. So he had a big game, you know, tackling, uh, also the interception. Um, so now he has, in two, in two games against Utah at home, he's got 16 tackles and four interceptions. That's not bad for a two-game stretch. Yeah. That he got 16 tackles in the one game is even more impressive. Not, not, too, not too shabby. I also have uh, Jack Jones. He had like almost three interceptions that game. It was so funny. You couldn't see it on the broadcast, but every time he almost intercepted it, the first one especially, he pointed directly at Troy Williams and he was like, I'm this close. He made like the little fingers, I'm this close, I got you, and did the little fingers. It was <laughs> it was pretty good. It was one of Jack Jones' best like taunting moments. Not so. surprising to see Jack Jones do that. Yeah, that wasn't my heard in the sidelines, but I bumped it up. I wonder if, if they have a relationship at all, you know, because Troy Williams played at Narbonne, but, you know, he's a couple years older than Jack Jones, so they may or may not have a relationship there. So Interesting. I also have Tyler Vaughn. Uh, you know, the great fourth yes. down catch. And then also, uh, you know, just the fact that he's being used all the time now. He's the number one receiver now. There's no question about that. He played every offensive snap except for one. One random snap he did not play because they had Valus Jones on the field. Um, oh, interesting. Uh, so, But he played every other offensive snap, and the other receivers split the rest of the time. So it was now Stephen Mitchell was splitting time. Well, interestingly, really interesting that to start the game, Deontay Burnett – did not start. Really? Because instead of Deontay Burnett, it was Tyler Vaughn, Stephen Mitchell, and Michael Pittman. 
those were the three starters for the, the three receivers for the first three plays. And then Burnett comes in the game and he plays, you know, his regular amount of time the rest of the time. Oh, I didn't remember that. But Deontay didn't practice that whole week. I think he was more banged up than you thought it was like vet rest. He was actually kind of hurt. He still played 63 of 83 offensive snaps. He's a gamer. Or 63 of 80, you know, actual snaps, not counting the three. So he didn't play 17 plays. So why were three of them or four of them the first four plays? That's just kind of strange to me. He didn't play the first four plays, and then he came in and he played, you know, basically a normal amount. Uh, so, but besides that, it was Stephen Mitchell and Michael Pittman basically rotating after that first drive. Uh, those were the two guys splitting the other side, and Tyler Vaughn's was by himself. So his stock is definitely up. You know, besides the actual catches and well, not only the one handed catch, uh, the catch that was most impressive to me probably. Um, taking away the fact that the one in the catch was on fourth down and he got the first down. The other catch that really impressed me was the sideline. You know, they're in their own end zone. They're on the two-yard line. Sam Donald rolls to his left. Sam Donald's about to take a hit. He throws the ball. It's a little wide of, of Tyler Vaughn's. Catches it with the fingertips. Keeps both feet. An NFL catch. Keeps both feet on the ground. Yeah. And then falls out of bounds. That's just a tremendous concentration and, you know, helping Sam Donald out, uh, you know, to make a play there. They get him out of the end zone, and then they go on and have a nice drive on that one. Mm-hmm. I have honorable mention stock up. What? <laughs> what? What is this? <laughs> because I'm not. I'm not necessarily. They had meaning that they had other negative plays that kind of made their stock neutral. So, so how so it's stock neutral? <laughs> whatever, go for it. <laughs> There's massive eye rolls going on if you you can't see. I had Chris Hawkins, Chris Brown, Tolovadon, and Josh Follow. <laughs> so we get a quick. Uh, not to elaborate on it, but just a quick reasoning. Chris Hawkins had some big stops, some big hits. I think he's been a good leader on the defense, but he's kind of quiet in that sense, so people don't really give him kind of credit. Um, so he should credit Chris Hawkins. <laughs> and then I thought Chris Brown and Tolobadon played well, especially towards the end. They were pulling late when it was, like, tiring, so I thought they did a good job of that. And uh, Josh Follow, like we mentioned. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Efficient. Mm-hmm. Chris Brown had a really nice game, it looked like, uh, yeah. from rewatching the game. Yeah. Uh, what about stock down? Who's on the down list? I have a concept on the down list. Go for it. Tackling, which we kind of already mentioned, but I thought this was the worst tackling game that USC played all season. It was a concept for them at times <laughs> in that first half. It was just a concept, not an actual thing, just a, a concept. A segment of their imagination. Yeah, this but tackling thing, that sounds like something we should do. I don't have enough patience, but if I did, I would have counted all the missed tackles because it was ridiculous. You couldn't even see it as much on the broadcast as you could see it from my view. But they were just, it almost looked like they were expecting Zach Moss, like, once contact was made, just to be like, oh, okay, heading down now, you know? Like, <laughs> it, it was just ridiculous. Oh, you're in the elevator too? I'll just head down. They were just like, it was almost like they were, like, it was practice and it was, this is, I don't want to start the 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 wheel about full contact practice, but it kind of looked like. As you circle your finger like there's an alarm going, woo, <laughs> It's actually the umpire home run signal. Uh, <laughs> but. but it kind of looked like thud, you know, when they can't really take them to the ground. And, Good point. You know, I mean, how much of that, if you're doing that every practice, you play like you practice. It kind of looked like that a little bit. Like, they were expecting him to, like, okay, contact, go down. And, obviously, Zach Moss was like, nah, I ain't doing that. <laughs> nah, bruh. No. So, that, so, yeah. From a tackling standpoint, it was the defense's worst game. Yeah. I, uh, worst game. Western Michigan was From pretty bad. From a tackling. Western oh. Michigan was pretty bad. But but against Zach Moss, it was just so blatant. True. Uh, yeah, the, the also, I'm going to give that a pass since it was the first game of the season, and it was hot, sweaty bodies maybe? I don't know. <laughs> no. The sweaty bodies theory. Interesting. <laughs> like the body boat theory. It's a oh, cousin. 
Uh, I got stuck down. I got Jalen Green. Uh, Jalen Green did play one snap, which was the onside kick recovery. Now, maybe he's not healthy enough to be going full blow as a receiver. That's still a possibility, uh, so I don't want to take that potential away. But it, it looks like he's been passed up in the receiver grouping. Uh, if he was healthy enough to play on the onside recovery, then he should have been at least healthy enough to play a couple snaps on offense, you would think. Uh, but he did not. He played no offensive snaps. He did not. Josh and Morabebe did not. And Trayvon Sidney did not play. Uh, they were DMPs, the last two. Um, so the receiver group kind of tightened up, and that was something we were really interested yeah, in. Yeah, I was about to say, we, we were very curious going into this game, and we kind of got an idea. Yeah, and the one still the one question mark uh, with that group is Joseph Lewis. Uh, Jody did not dress for the game. so I was surprised by that. Don't know. We don't have a real reason on that. Um, was he practicing yesterday? Services. I did. I, I did not notice him not practicing. How about that? Okay, so he was either not at practice or he did not. Pra- I mean, or he was a full. Yesterday was a little weird because Chuma came back and was practicing, and I was like, I was like, yeah, he's practicing. I didn't realize like you should make note that he's practicing. I don't know. There's just so many injuries. And Josh Fatu wasn't there. They found out. I later. did notice that. Yeah. Uh, so give me credit, man. Oh, uh, <laughs> just kidding. Then Bebe was running with the ones. You know, some different things to practice today. It was a it was a full blown day. And I had to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, also on stock down, I got Kenny Bigelow. Uh, just yeah. that you know, we finally found out this week that Kenny Bigelow is transitioning to the coaching side. Um, so his playing days apparently are done. But as I pointed out earlier, Joe Williams retired for like four games last year, the running back from Utah. So never say never. Isn't that what the James Bond movie is? I'm thinking of the Justin Bieber song, which is kind of horrible. <laughs> but... Um, do you? Because someone asked Helton if it's permanent, and he said at this point it is, which does not mean that that's permanent. If you're saying at this point it is, could, well, that couldn't means, that mean that? That means they think it is, and they'll change their mind later if need be. <laughs> but do you think it could there be a possibility between telling Kenny Bigelow go suit up and J2Fellay we're burning your red shirt? What do you think is more likely? Oh, that's a that's a tough one. That's a toss up. Uh, I don't know that J. Tufele is ready yet. I mean, he worth noting that he was getting significant reps in practice yesterday. And since I wasn't there, I couldn't really judge those reps. Uh, but you know, uh, I would say King Bigelow returning is more likely than J. Tufele burning his redshirt. That would be my guess. Where's your guess? I don't know. So do you? So you make? I guess because Kenny's a senior, you want him to make the trip. Yes. And you still want Jay to make the trip? Yes. Uh, I, th- I think you have to take J. Tufele. Yeah. If you're. If Kenny Bigelow doesn't go, you for sure have to take Jay Tufele just in case there's an injury to you know Brandon Peely, your nose tackle. And if we're assuming that Jay to uh, Fat, uh, Josh so, Fatu cannot travel, curveball, more likely burning Jay Tufele's redshirt or having Jacob Daniel come back to the D line. Uh, burning Jay Tufele's redshirt. Interesting. But Jacob Daniel would be if you're gonna make a switch, that's the guy. Yeah, I had stocked down on Eugene Nuoso, which granted. He is arguably the MVP of the season, maybe, on the defense. So how much his stock is impacted by this? But I thought he had some offsides that were just bad and critical drives, that extended plays, you know. So I, I that was a little off. I mean, it was a quieter game for him, but he set the, expe- the expectation of the bar so high that whether it's quieter or just a normal game for him, who knows. Uh Yuchina Nwosu hasn't made a ton of plays recently. I don't think people have really noted, you know, since he got hurt and hurt his knee against Texas. That's a great point. He hasn't made a ton of plays. Now, granted, he's still been really good. Uh, the I think I heard a broadcaster say that was a defensive lineman. He's like, 
the really good pass rushers, if you're not getting one offside a game, you know, then you kind of live with one offside a game. But that's if you're getting to the quarterback, which uh, is something he hasn't done you know, recently. He was close-ish on plays, but close don't add up. Yeah, so he has a ton of of, um, of hurries now. I think he's leading the Pac-12 in hurries. I think USC tweeted out, but he has he's got one and a half sacks on the season. He only he had a half sack against Washington State. He hasn't had a sack. Uh, the only other sack he had was against Stanford. So that's a long time ago, basically. Um, and he's you know he's had three or four tackles per game. You know most games since the Texas game since he was injured. You know I I you know granted he's made some incredible plays. An interception against Washington State. Yeah. Cal, you know, receiving the the Josh Watu tip and you know almost taking it in, uh, but he's been quieter since he was at the very beginning of the season where he was just all over the place and looked like a true All American in those first couple games. We just haven't seen him make a ton of plays uh, recently, so I could definitely agree with the stock down there. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Uh, that's it for me. Let's go to Herda on the sidelines. Now, how much of this is going to be me considering you were not on the sidelines? I was not on the sidelines. I was in Georgia attending a childhood friend's wedding and I had a great time. And you had a However, day off. I had a day, yes, it was the first day I broke my streak. It was like 76 days straight that I'd been working. but And he really means it. He's not exaggerating. Yeah, something Crazy like that. workaholic. I, I, the last day off I had had previously was July. July. But I had fun in July. I went on a July. couple trips, you know. So knew I knew the, the work season was coming, so get ready for it. But my hurting on the sidelines is because I was at a wedding, I sent a tweet before the game, said, make sure you follow Keely. She's going to be on the sidelines. Thank She's you. your Thank go-to. Um and yet still, I, I believe I had my phone in my, my jacket pocket. I was dancing on the dance floor. And like, I just keep, keep feeling vibrations against my chest. I'm like, what is going on? It was the rhythm of the music. Besides the rhythm of the music. You know, I'm like swag surfing. And then all of a sudden, like, I look at my phone. I'm like, oh, my, my, my phone is blowing up with Twitter mentions. I guess people didn't, didn't decide to look back earlier Basically, in the game. Basically, this is a subtle flex that people really rely on you for your game No, tweets. no, 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 no. People really like to complain to me mm. during the games You're because the it was just all complaints. I'm like, well, I, I already told you guys earlier, I'm not going to be answering any of these. And I just kept on referencing the same tweet over. Which, I know. Which <laughs> apparently you showed were up on. in my mentions. <laughs> so you got all those. I just passed them along to you, you know? Thanks. I appreciate it. That was my only hurt on the sidelines because, you know, I was I watched a little bit of the game, the, the fourth quarter, probably the last 10 minutes uh, after the wedding, at the after party. Um, <laughs> In a cabin. We only had a TV. Hey, that's fun. Yeah, so turn that game on and watch a little bit of it while I'm still hanging out. But, you know, I wasn't paying that much attention. Watched the game a couple days later and did all my studying on it. But what do you have heard in the silence? Because I'm sure you have a couple because you had to make up for me not being there. Yeah, I have some. Yeah, someone tweeted me, come on, Keely, you got to be both you and Shotgun. I'm like, there's a reason <laughs> why I can't do that. Um, it was kind of funny. So after... Now, you need to look this up for reference. Did you watch Sam's presser after the game? Not presser, his scrum after the game. I did not. So so Ryan posted it. Go look at it. So Kyle Bonagura of ESPN asks, uh, Sam, did the implications of this game, the big picture, did it ever slip into your mind? And Sam goes, yeah, sometimes it does. And then you see his face. Sam has the worst poker face ever. So he, he once he says that, he looks, he has a face... That says, shoot, I need, I'm going to have to answer for why I just said that it did slip into my mind. So he goes, but I think I do a good job of not thinking about it during games. And then Kyle is good at like kind of pressing. He goes, come on, Sam. Did, did you think about it? <laughs> and Sam just goes, no. And then cracks big smile. a big smile. <laughs> and Kyle goes, you liar. But he like whispers <laughs> it. And like if you were, so I was standing to the right of Sam. So I could see Sam and Kyle and no one could really else see this exchange. And and. 
Darnold's laughing and Dan is trying to ask a question. Darnold can't even hear it because he's just trying to like compose himself, but he's laughing. So I thought that was really funny because we got a, a little honesty hour from from Darnold about how the implications of the Utah game did slip into his mind. Um, yeah, and that was a huge game for USC. I mean, that's Pac-12 South game. You know that basically we talked about last week that the Pac-12 South has kind of gone through USC or Utah uh, the majority of the last uh, few years. So, you know, it's a big game in that regard. And then also, you win and you stay in. Still in the national uh, national uh, playoff picture right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this heard it on the sidelines. So it's kind of becoming a thing now, apparently, that um, after home games, Helton, but when Helton walks through the tunnel and he walks down on the Coliseum field to go out, it's usually when Dan and I are setting up for instant analysis. So so Clay comes over. He kind of looks exhausted, and he goes, okay, let me guess. Instant analysis, we suck. <laughs> it was amazing. It was like it was like a cynical, kind of tired, defeated Helton that was cracking a joke, and it was hilarious. And, like, he's self-aware. Like, for everyone who's, like, beating him up about his coach talk, he's aware he knows what's happening. You know, it, it was really funny just to see the human jokester side of Helton. And if it would have been after the first half, you would have done a halftime uh, Facebook Live like Ryan and I did during the Washington State game, that probably would have been <laughs> uh, the the answer because USC had turned the ball over way too much. You know, they had run, they'd, you know, gained a bunch of yards in the first half. I think it was like 270 or so. Um, and the defense was giving up chunks of yardage, were not tackling. And then you flip the script. And you think, wait a second, this could be the USC team that we all kind of expected at the beginning of the season. They tackled well in the second half. They made plays. The uh, the offense you know, drove the ball, those three really long drives, take the lead, and the defense makes the big play at the end that you need to make. You know, They gave up the touchdown. Uh, they had the fourth and one. Really, w- can we uh, check on uh, the Pac-12 spotting somehow that – I don't know how they that Utah didn't get a first down. They had to go for it on fourth and one. Uh, they had the weird subbing weird. in. Uh, yeah, that that whole series was so weird. Yeah. I also don't know why Utah snapped the ball and like why they went so fast. Because I feel like if they would have just delayed it a little bit, they would have reviewed it. Oh, the the delay of game call? No, 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 not that oh, one. Oh, the the, yeah. the spotting. Yeah, it was interesting there. Also, I you know I didn't necessarily hear it on sidelines, but watching the the mm. TV replay. Um, of Kyle Whittingham, he tries to say <laughs> after the game. I mean, uh, after that play where they're called, you know, they sub in and USC subs and USC takes forever running a defensive player on and off, and they get the delay of game while the referees trying to pump the clock up to to push the play clock back to twenty five. It was so weird, which made no sense. But then Whittingham's trying to tell the the you know referee on the the sideline, the side judge. He's like, we didn't sub. We didn't sub. So I went back a couple times and looked at it. And I was like, look at the personnel. They subbed like three players in. <laughs> so he's like, we didn't do it. He's like, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. He's like, yes, you did. You that, did that. That one. competitive lie. Just a little, <laughs> a little white lie. Um, also, I heard it in my mentions. We actually got a family feud feud in my mentions. I thought it was pretty funny. Someone That sounds a bit meta. It is. Someone tweeted me like, something about what we talked about in the podcast. And then someone replied to him, kind of called him dumb. And then was like, you made this bad point. And then the guy replied, evidently, you don't listen to the Family Feud podcast. Try it out. And my comment is relevant. <laughs> so, Von Blaze, shout out to you for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. And, you know, if someone tries to come at you, you can always shout us out like that. We yeah. appreciate it. Okay, my last one. Last one. On Tuesday, USC not only pumped in crowd noise, 
they pumped in I'm Shipping Up to Boston, which I low-key love that song. It gets me hyped. But I hadn't heard it since the last time I was in Notre Dame. And it was that weird inception moment where you hear something that you, like, haven't heard since you were in the exact moment. And I was like, like, back into... <laughs> that's, my, that's, that's my inception noise. I was immediately doing <laughs> He's face-palming right now. I was, like, immediately transported back into Notre Dame Stadium. And I was just like, this is crazy. A lot has changed since the last time I heard this song. <laughs> I don't know the exception sound. I've seen that movie. Oh, okay. But once again, if anyone knows this movie reference that I'm making that Shotgun's just completely not into right now. Sorry, I watch sports. Me. Okay, you can be a well rounded person. Yeah, I watch sports and other sports. <laughs> okay. I watch hockey and basketball, baseball, football. Oh my goodness. Even some Australian rules football. If it's on like when I grew up, you know, ESPN used to show on the East Coast, they would show stuff at like three AM and it'd be like Aussie rules football, like I could never figure out the rules, but I was always watching it. I'm like, this is weird. Someone needs to teach me the rules of this. Watch rugby all the time, or whatever's on, cricket. Wow. Little shotgun. I like competition. Doing, doing um, his thing. So. That's what I got. That's what you got? <laughs> that's what I got. So, uh, avoiding your inception noises, uh, let's move on to <laughs> That Keith. wasn't even my best inception impression, but we'll save that for another day. The last time I can remember hearing that song is uh, at Boston College, which was not a good day for USC or Steve Sarkeesian. That, that, okay, that doesn't make sense. You were at the Notre Dame game. Yeah, last time I remember hearing. Oh, okay, it. whatever. I don't remember. How do you not? They played it like nine million times. At... I was in the press box. Oh. I was too busy hearing, you know, all the Notre Dame people cheering before the game. You know, you're not supposed to cheer in the press box. Cheering before the game when Michigan Shots State fired. beat Michigan. Oh. Uh, you know, when the John Baxter, hey. John Baxter special teams uh, at Michigan when the punter flubbed the snap Oops. and then tried to pick it up and kick it again and that was not a good decision she just fell on it and let the defense try to play i always tell the story i was in the bathroom for that game in the press box all of a sudden i hear mad screaming and then the the press the press guy that always says like two yard gain that guy he goes there's no cheering in the press box but oh my god <laughs> And I was like, what did I just miss? It was pretty epic. Classic Keely, missing it all. Hey, I all got right. a story I get to tell. Let's move it on to Keep It, Change It. You want a story or you want me to? You got it. All right, I'm going to say Keep It, the two tight end sets. They were really good. They didn't even use Daniel Amore Baby a ton in the two tight end sets. However, the two tight end sets uh, as a whole you know, averaged over nine yards of play. They averaged over 10 yards on, on pass plays. You know, they were really good. There were several big gains in that. Part of that was Josh Follow when he was in there. Eric Cromanhook was in there some. I like that they were using all the tight ends. And, uh, you know, when Daniel Morabebe is back, he just causes the defense to pay that much more attention to you uh, when you put him on the field. Mm -hmm. I have less penalties. Keep that. They had a season-low three penalties for 35 yards. Interesting. So, I didn't think about that. That's a great right? point. Yeah. So. It's about time. Do that. I mean, you take away the two. It's in a. Uh, offsides? Offsides. You have one. There are also probably two more that were Yeah, that, that were, were declined. declined. Yeah. Yes. So, granted, there's a exception to the rule, but I'm going to take it and run with it. Uh, I said making plays for Sam. Keep that. I mean, the offense, the receivers caught several balls away from their body, some of them behind, you know, some on the sideline, some when they're about to get drilled. You know, I, I thought the receivers, you know, this is the best game they've had by far. Uh, you know, there weren't a ton of explosive plays for the receivers themselves. You know, you had tight end. Uh, Tyler Petit with a 52-yard gain, um, but you know they were able to catch everything, keep drives going, and you know they did some things getting Deontay the ball in the slot and getting him some yards that way after he had been slowed down a couple games prior. Um, I have multiple things for Darnold, as in Darnold the improviser. 
I don't know how he can necessarily keep it, but keep that spirit. You saw, I feel like... I feel like this should be a cheerleading. Keep that spirit up. (laughs) This podcast has it all. Um, But that second uh, Tyler Petit touchdown, when he just scrambles, how that DB did not pick up the ball. There's two in the area, but that one in front of Tyler, crazy. But that was vintage Darnold. That was Darnold just making defenses go like, what? How? So I thought that was pretty good. And I also think Darnold showing emotion. I think he showed a lot of it on the sideline, and I thought that was good. I think the offense needs a leader. I know that everyone says that Darnold's the quiet leader that leads guys, but I think showing that emotion really helps, especially in games like this. And and the offense doesn't necessarily have a leader necessarily besides Darnold, and so Darnold taking up more of that role I think is a good thing. Yeah, I think the difference maybe in this team and last year is you had some more on that offense in particular. You had some more... um, braggadocious players, you had some more bravado on the team, you had Zach mm-hmm. Banner, Juju, you know, even Darius Rogers. Those are guys that, you know, the, what you have on the defensive side with Jack Jones or even Uchenna Nwosu, very competitive, very spirited guys will tell the other team, hey, we're better than you or whatever it is. On offense now, it, like, your your best players, Sam Darnold is pretty quiet, Ronald Jones is pretty quiet, Tyler Vaughn's is pretty quiet. Uh, you know, there's not you know that emotional leader like you said. I think they need someone that, that you know, has that fire maybe to, to come off. And, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, Sam Darnold screaming at everybody, but, you know, him showing a little bit of emotion I think is good. I don't think he needs to be, you know, flatline all the time. I know that's his personality. I know that's what everybody wants to talk about in the, you know, scouting breakdowns. Like, oh, he's, look at him after this Rose Bowl catch. He's just looking for the sideline. You know, it's good to throw a fist pump every once in a while. Fist pumps are solid. Yeah, but I also think that that's just him. I mean, like, I... I he no, d- what I think is for him to show a little emotion is good. I don't think he needs to bottle it up. There's emotion there. Yes. Because he's shown some frustration at times at practice and stuff coming off the sideline. Yeah. There's some emotion there, and he's just he just doesn't show it. I think he should show a little bit more. I don't think it's a bad th- thing for him to show a little bit. Agreed. That's all I got for keep it. Really? I said feeling it out. I feel like T did a better job of feeling what the I, okay but there's also like a second part of this and changes Go for it. um he did a better job at feeling out what the what the defense was giving him and also what was working i thought going up tempo a little bit and just giving rojo the ball worked but then also slowing it down a little bit that's why the tempo thing i have mixed feelings about how because i kept clamoring for them to go up tempo during the game, but then it ended up working out with their long drive. So I don't know necessarily how I feel about it. I was gonna pick your brain about that, but I don't know. The thing is, like, people wanted to complain about the offense. The offense was moving the ball on the first half. I mean, a 17-yard gain, a 21-yard gain on the first drive, a 19-yard gain on the second drive. I mean, they got multiple first downs on both of those drives. The third drive is when they fumbled the ball initially. Um, but then the next drive, 21-yard gain to get a first down, then Tyler Petit, 52-yard touchdown. That's all in the first quarter. So that's, you know, if you want to say a 15-yard gain, it doesn't have to be explosive play, but it's a chunk play, kind of. Uh, then, what is that, one, two, three, four, five in the first quarter. So they're making some, some good yardage and stuff, and they were driving the ball a little bit, getting some first downs in each of those drives when they didn't turn the ball over. Yeah, I guess it, it just felt like sometimes in games prior – that they were forcing plays that I feel like didn't really work or didn't fit the personnel that was on the field. And I felt like it, that wasn't the case in this game. So keep that. Okay. <laughs> Change it. Change it. What do you, you got? Want, you want a couple years? Uh, in that same vein, being like giving what, assessing what you're doing and what the defense is giving you, based 
solely. Now, remember how the t- the offense was playing on the first half, not in the second half. Based on how they were playing, why not take the three points at the end of the uh, towards the end of the half uh, in the first half? I because mean, they turned over on downs. I know you're gonna go for it on fourth down, yada yada yada. But I just think in that instance, in in what you knew on the offense, taking those three points was. Well, it's not like it was a chip shot. That's a great point. Yeah, I know. I mean, they were on but, 33, so that's... I know, but still... That's a 50-yarder, basically. <sighs> okay. 49 to 50-yarder, depending on where you set up for the hold. But I want to be stubborn. Do do you think that Chase McGrath has that leg? That That's part of the question. We've seen him make that in practice. Okay, so then do you want to go for it? And also, it, it's 21-7. You know, you're trying to get that momentum going to half. I think instead at the same of, time you didn't when you didn't convert on the fourth down. You know what I'm saying? True, but I think you risk it, and I, I didn't really like the play call on that. Uh, I didn't think Sam made the best decision. There was a smash route on the outside. Yeah, he threw it over Deontay. You know, he didn't even really give Deontay Burnett a chance on that yeah. one. I think on fourth down, that's one of the one one of the times when you throw it, they intercept it, whatever. Uh, you throw it into a tight window and try to make something happen. Which then begs the question: How much of this is let's fire T versus just execute better? Uh, there's all execute if you execute every play then it doesn't matter who the offensive coordinator is exactly i mean every play can be designed to beat the, very rarely is the defense perfectly drawn up to beat you usually it's a beat of some type i change it obviously the turnovers the turnovers woo. yeah i got that <laughs> i don't even know what sound effect to make for the turnovers they were just bad the fumbles too where did they come off of both off read options uh, so that was my other change it running the read option correctly so we're one, practicing it so that Sam is more comfortable with it. Maybe that's what you need to do, but they need to run it correctly regardless of what it is because the first one, he tried to take it out from Ronald Jones, and then once you pull the ball as a quarterback, you cannot put try to put it back in. That don't work. It never – I don't <laughs> – once you pull, you have to keep it, and if, if you have to bite the bullet and take a three-yard loss because you read it incorrectly and you just need to fall down, you do that. But we know that that's not Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold will tooth and claw his way out of taking a loss. True, but you take the loss, not try to give it to the running yes. back. Yeah, too obviously, late. yes. And in the second one, he just never had a good handle on the ball after he pulled it out. Uh, the defender made a nice, did a nice job of raking down on his arms as well, and he was kind of bobbling the ball and <laughs> Kind of throws it. It basically was like you threw it up in the air. It was like a movie play, kind of. You know, in the movie, like somebody fumbles and it goes up in the air, and somebody comes out of and nowhere to catch motion, it. And slow motion is like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. While well, uh, you can be my hero, plays in Varsity Blues or whatever it is. So you do watch movies, sports movies, but still. there you go. <laughs> um, I don't want your life. I've actually never seen that movie. Before. What? Yeah. Oh, come on. You want me to watch Inception and you haven't seen Varsity Blues and Johnny in- Moxon? Inception is like a, a classic. Uh, what do you think critically, Varsity Blues is? Critically acclaimed. Uh, don't come at me with, with that. Are you I kidding? <laughs> Bud Kilmer and Johnny Moxon going back and forth? Oh, come on. You do realize that this is going over my head. And a whipped cream bikini? I mean, there's everything you want in a, a teenage movie. <laughs> well, okay. Burning two timeouts in the third quarter with six minutes left. Uh, Change that. That's not on the coach. That's not on Clay Helton, I don't think. That's on your offensive coordinators and your your grouping because the first time they called the timeout, they had 12 men on the field. Deontay Burnett made a play, and then they brought in two tight ends, and Deontay Burnett was still out there, so Deontay Burnett should have been off the field. They were going to get, because they didn't huddle up, they were probably going to get called for a 12-man on the field potentially. So that was why that timeout was called. The second one, 
I don't know if it's the T. Martin. T. Martin said on the broadcast, or they said on the broadcast that, they, that T. Martin had told them that sometimes he waits until 15 seconds is left before he calls in the play to kind of slow the game down, slow the tempo. And on this play in particular, the play clock was about to expire, and Clay Helton called the timeout. So I don't th- think those timeouts are on Clay Helton as much as everybody wants to blame him for it. Now, if you want to blame the offensive coordinator and his assistant, uh, Tyson, then maybe that's who you blame, or maybe the, even the the people pushing guys in onto the field on on that know the packages. Like, all right, this is the guy that comes in, this guy goes out. You know, that assistant coach on the sideline, that's who you blame, not Clay Helton. Mm-hmm. I have. There should be like a montage of every week. I feel like I say this. Do you want to guess? A JNA at punt return. <laughs> Once again, great guy, great kid. Think he's doing well at nickel. Just, just think that there's other options. At least try other options. Why not? I think he's just got to catch the ball. I mean, he's got to go. You know, I think Ryan said that he was. He felt that he was too far away to go get a ball, and that is part of the game now with the rugby punch you kick the ball away from the from the punt returner you try to find uh an area of the field where they're not and maybe usc needs to put two returners back there like uh was it oregon state did that against usc and was able to get a good return off of it so that he knows he has one side he has to take care of the other guy takes care of the other side whichever side it comes to then you go get it uh maybe that's a wrinkle that usc needs to try but yeah i would like to see something different or even coming after some punts you know i would like to see some heavy punt block action and see if they I mean, can they get had one. opportunities against Utah. At least it looked like it. So yeah, it looked like Levi Jones was pretty close to one. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing them go after one. hmm You got anything else? That's it. <gasps> now I get to pick your brain. Actually no, we got a uh, a fan question. Dear Keely and Shotgun, I have a question that might cause a feud, so maybe it's something you can help to answer. Who on the USC staff decides the uniform choices for a game, for instance? What color socks are worn during the game? We haven't seen the chrome helmets yet this year or any other uniform variation, so I thought we were past all that meaningless stuff. But I suppose it does have meaning because I had a terrible, visceral reaction to the sight of Camp Smith wearing black knee-high socks with the Cardinal Golden uniform. USC's uniform is supposed to be black shoes, white socks, and no names on the jersey on the jersey is nothing sacred anymore am i just being a curmudgeon thanks for keeping us informed and entertained fight on beat the irish john from brea california except you didn't read it right you got it's nothing sacred anymore oh that's good there you go or am i just being a curmudgeon i would go with the latter well fun fact if you had a visceral reaction to black oh oh the black socks oh my god that's the black (laughs) no come on uh is nothing sacred. USC's uniform has changed a lot over the years. I don't know if you guys you know, go back to the 1800s, but the uniform's not exactly the same. Um, you can uh, credit Pete Carroll for bringing back the shoulder stripes, I think it was, and you know, bringing it back to what was, you know, the I believe the 60s or 70s uniform. But the helmet logo has changed previously. There's been different things. It's not like it's Penn State's uniform or even Alabama's uniform where they're pretty much been no changes at all because the uniforms are so plain in, in one part um so the difference in socks I, like i don't i don't understand why people get so upset with, with, with the socks uh maybe there's i i don't even notice the socks that's never something that i know it's like oh my god that's black that's different now if somebody was wearing like some shiny or sparkly socks maybe then i would notice but i'd be down for that no i the black socks didn't bother me as much as the black undershirts that just didn't look good against the thing but and that's something that, that players have done, I mean, dating back to when I first started covering, I remember, I think T.J. McDonald always wore an undershirt and usually wore a black one, so, I mean, if you want to, I mean, that seems more prevalent to me than the socks. I just don't understand people getting upset with the socks. I mean, Dan does the same thing, he, he points it out, and then people on the message board 
will jump all over it. And it's just not something that I think is a big deal, in my opinion. Well, good news for you, John. They will be not wearing the black socks again this season. I got word from USC's uh, equipment manager. He also hates the black socks. So they're not doing it. He didn't choose the black socks. And Dan Weber suggested that they have a bonfire on Thursday night and burn the black socks. So, so what happens if a player just wears black socks? I, I mean, well, well, the, the, the equipment managers put everything in their locker. So, yes. um, so they contraband white socks into there, like or black socks into the. I had, you know, when I played, I had certain socks that I felt more comfortable in. You know, there was there was certain. Like, I had a lucky shirt. Like I had, I wore soccer socks instead of baseball socks a lot of times because there was more padding on the bottom of them. To Weird. Me. So you know, it's not there's not a huge difference in them. Uh, and then you know, if you wear, I wore my socks up, so that was part of it. Um, so. It depends, like, in baseball, a lot of times, teams will, and it it's all goes back to the head coach. Head coach decides all this. That's who is the action. Steve Sarkeesian was the one that made the final choice on the chrome helmets. And we're noting that USC, last time they were in Notre Dame, had the chrome helmets. So it's true. The shiny. And they looked really good they in did. pictures. They did. Especially because Notre Dame's field is just so well lit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so give them a lot of credit for, you know, the it renovations It makes it extra, like, like... I don't know. Oh, yeah, it feels big time because yeah, like, everything felt something. like it was sparkling a little yeah, bit yeah. Uh, with, with how good the lights are there. So I'm really looking forward to being back there taking Me photos too. this time. Um, but it comes back to the head coach in that regard. I know in baseball, I, you know, I've talked to a bunch pitcher. of the baseball coaches. It depends on, you know, they will give the option to the starting pitchers. They And then some coaches don't care. Anybody, you can wear your socks up, you can wear your socks down, they don't care. Some of them want uniform uh, across the team. So then it goes on to the starting pitcher. Sometimes the starting pitcher gets to pick the uniform that they play in. And then sometimes they're like, all right, we need to, like USC in the NCAA tournament, in the last time they were in regional in what, 2014 or 15, uh, they wore their practice BP jerseys. The reason why they did it is because it was blistering hot in Lake Elsinore and they wanted the lightest jersey possible because they were sweating so much instead of wearing their normal thicker jerseys. So, you know, sometimes the weather plays into it, sometimes other things, but it, inevitably it comes down to the head coach. So that's who you can blame. Uh, now, if someone contraband brings some socks in, I don't know. I mean, maybe they do. Maybe they get some extra punishment or something after practice. Uh, Who knows? Uh, for those of you keeping score at home, that's three baseball references by Shotgun in this podcast. So, yeah, there was. I was keeping track. Well, John Baxter gives like 42 in, in a single interview, so I think I'm low. <laughs> Is that an accurate count? I think so. It's all about hitting the pitch. Got to get a pitch to hit every punt return. That's why, that's why they haven't returned a bunch of punts, according to John Baxter. Okay, picking your brain. How concerned should USC fans be about USC's defense facing a real du- dual threat for the first time with depleted depth, uh, D-line depth? And how do you think Clancy combats that? I think a very important player this game is John Houston. Because if you need to spy, potentially, I think John Houston's a guy you do instead of Cameron Smith. Now, John Houston has to make tackles, but John Houston is very good sideline to sideline. That's his strength. If you need him to spy and potentially do that, I think he's a guy that, that is fully capable of, of you know keeping a dual threat quarterback contained. You may do some different things where you run some QB contained pass rushes where you rush up the field, but you don't get too get too deep on. Uh, apparently, Ryan Abraham's our faithful listener. Ryan Abraham is getting bored and watching videos in the corner. <laughs> yeah, after playing video games and stuff, apparently our show's not good enough for him. I guess that's what it is. <laughs> Uh, but you may do some some pass rushes where there's QB contained type of pass rushes where you don't go too deep. You know you may beat the tackle around the end, 
but you don't continue your pass rush and loop around and give them you know kind of that edge so you may see some different things in the pass rush there you can also blitz different players you know to try to keep the quarterback inside if that's what you're trying to do or to try to force him one of the things they did against Troy Williams they blitzed a lot from his right side so naturally a right-handed quarterback wants to roll to his right they saw that Troy Williams is not as good when he's rolling to his left, so they blitzed from his right side and forced him, if he was going to get out of the pocket, to go to the left. Uh, so that's something that they did a little bit different there. Maybe they do something with that with Wimbush. It depends on the film study there. Like I said, I haven't really got the chance to study him too much with the short week, but uh, I think that that, that is a, a distinct concern for them So because it's something that they haven't seen too much this year. How much is a concern for the environment? A lot of these guys are younger. They haven't necessarily played at Notre Dame before it made the trip. Darnold hasn't, Tyler Vaughn's, DeAndre Burnett. How much does that at all it's a it's an interesting environment. How much of that plays into anything like that? Well, we should all be concerned about our environment. Climate change is real. And the fact that it's gonna be what, seventy something degrees? Yeah, I, I'm actually very excited about that. I'm excited about that part, not the you know, the polar ice caps melting and all <laughs> We'll skip that part. Uh, you know, I, I think this is going to be much worse than Washington State. Uh, maybe not as many profanities. Maybe. Uh. Who knows? I don't know. But, yeah, Josh Follow said that the coaches are telling them, like, be ready. Wazoo's going to look like a JV team compared. Not, not JV crowd. JV crowd, yes, thank you. <laughs> Let's just upset them even more. Wazoo's crowd is going to look like a JV crowd compared to what Notre Dame is going to be like. Now, you could call Washington State a JV team. On Friday, when they lost 37-3 to to Cal. I would like to say no comment about Wazoo. Wow, I don't, I don't know how they lost like that. I didn't get to see that game, and I was just stunned when seeing the score. Uh, but Notre Dame is going to have a packed house. It's a much bigger stadium than Washington State. So, yes, as far as in terms of the atmosphere, I think you know, adding probably, what, 50, 70 more thousand people uh, than the Washington State crowd will have a de- definitely a big difference. That They built the stadium pretty uh, – it's designed well, so the sound reverberates back and forth. I think it's going to be really loud. It should be really fun. Uh, and like I said, this is the type of stuff you live for as a player, as a coach. Um, you know, it, It's going to be under the lights. It's going to be – like I said, it's going to be sparkling. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Um, i got to look my best on the sideline. i got to figure out what I'm going to wear. Interesting. i got to sparkle Oh, too. so you're going to be on the sideline for this game? Yeah. Oh, there we go. Um, <laughs> how else am I going to do hers on the sidelines? Well, you did it this week. So. Twitter mentions. Um, how much of Rojo's success running the ball late in the game was the O-line doing better, but the O-line doing better because the defense was gassed? Hmm. Um, I think the O-line was better. I think it doesn't hurt when the defense is gassed. And when you have those long drives, you know that contributes to that. I thought Rojo also broke a couple tackles, which sometimes you say, oh, well, they're missing tackles late, and that's because they're tired. I think all those things combine together in that in that regard. That's all I got on it. Oh, okay. Nice and, and simple. Any final thoughts? Because that's all I got. Uh, you know, I think this uh, USC has a great opportunity to build on the momentum from that second half. And if they do, the Pac-12 should be scared, and the rest of the country should be looking forward to seeing USC in the playoff game. Mm-hmm. If. Big if. But big if. Uh, big Sam Donald playing mark. more confident. That's a huge if. I mean, that's a huge uh, potential contributor to them playing much better. And I think you saw that after that game. You know, the fact that he could smile, you know, answering some of those questions following the game. And like you said, then, yep. you know, I think that's a big thing for him. You know, maybe that the pressure, you know, that sophomore, since it's the second year, the sophomore slump pressure 
Maybe the weight comes off him a little bit, doesn't feel like he has to do everything, then that'd be perfect because his receivers show that they can make some plays for him. And Ronald Jones is going to be really good. Get Stephen Carr back either this week or next week, potentially. Potentially getting Porter Gustin back. You get Josh Fatu back you know, in a week or two. You know, a lot of things, if they can stay healthy. They've Two games in a row, they've been rel- I mean, really healthy coming out of the game. So knock on everything. Knock on that turtle shell. The wooden wood. turtle. Um, fun fact, thing to watch out for. Uh, Rojo got over a little over 100 yards um, against Utah. If he gets 100 more yards, he'll be 10th on all-time rushing for USC. And he has a ridiculous streak of touchdowns. I think yep, 13 or 14. Uh, you know, so he keeps finding the end zone. And when you when he finds the end zone, that's only going to help USC. I think so. I, I think, think that's so. a positive. Do Do you want to have a game prediction, or are you are you piecing out? I'm piecing out. Okay. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week.